0: You know, I was being overwhelmed by stuff that I, I couldn't handle on my own. And so I needed a guide. I needed a guide through those experiences, simply being with someone. And that may not seem to be a lot, but as you just mentioned, our own natural impulse is to recoil at the presence of suffering. And so simply to be with someone, to be present with them is a wonderful
1: gift This is In Good Faith, listening to first-person experiences of faith and belief. On In Good Faith, it's our privilege to hear stories and accounts from believers told in their own words. Our hope is to listen with an open heart, celebrating the power of faith and belief, and what those stories mean to the ones who tell them. This week I chat with Matthew Schmaltz, professor of religious studies at the College of the Holy Cross and founder of the Journal of Global Catholicism. He's written a personal spiritual memoir, Mercy Matters, Opening Yourself to the Life-Changing Gift, from the publisher's Our Sunday Visitor.
0: For me personally, as a Christian, a Catholic Christian, the question of why human beings suffer when there is a all-powerful and merciful God is a perennial question. And so looking at the Catholic tradition, there are a variety of different takes, different understandings of suffering, because not all suffering is the same. And interestingly enough, I began with the idea of the silence of God when God seemingly does not respond to us within our suffering, which is a prominent theme actually within Catholic mysticism. And then I moved to, of course, talking about oppression, social injustice, and so forth. But I also wanted to make the connection, because it's important, between suffering and sin. Not that sinners deserve to suffer or something like that, but that all of us in our finitude and our weakness inevitably experience suffering and pain and trying to understand that is a crucial task for christians
1: and occasionally we do bring that on ourselves exactly exactly
0: certainly as i reflect upon my life you know many of the most traumatic experiences of suffering have been brought on by by myself and so i think it's important to understand how we're also involved in that dynamic. Uh, Suffering doesn't just happen to us. We're involved in it very oftentimes.
1: If we could start with this, the idea of the silence of God, uh, we've thought about this a little bit here on the show with various guests, but I'm wondering what drew you into this and what do you find in that silence when or if you experience that?
0: Well, I think that you do reach a point sometimes where there are some experiences which are so overwhelming that uh, you reach out to God and God does not seem to provide the answer or the help in the way in which we would expect when we want him to. I particularly am interested in Christian mystics like St. John of the Cross who talk about this silence of God as being an opening to spiritual growth. That is, in and through God's silence, or God's apparent silence, I should say, we're called to more deeply examine our faith as we move forward, and also to move beyond what some mystics would call immature understandings of God that see God as simply someone who's bestowing favors upon us if, as long as we're good, And if we're not good, we get coal in our stockings and so forth, that our relationship with God is much more complex, much more deep than uh, simply a kind of exchange where God relieves us from suffering uh, simply because we pray for it.
1: I would like to ask later about your chance to work at the Sisters of Charity Home in Calcutta, which was founded by uh, Mother Teresa. But as far as the silence of God, this was we find out later quite a prominent theme at the end of her life and caused her some pain.
0: Yes. You know, I can talk more fully about it later if you like, but um, I volunteered for the Missionaries of Charity when I was a student in India and I actually met Mother Teresa Mm. uh, in New York when I was managing a homeless shelter that was right near uh, where her sisters also had a hostel for the uh, for the dying and destitute and for me growing up as a catholic and i'm sure for many people many of whom aren't catholic themselves mother Teresa was a paragon of faith if you wanted a an embodiment of of what it was to be a true christian then you look at mother Teresa. i remember when i met her she really had you know i I think i can say there's a palpable spiritual power but her memoirs were released her correspondence with her spiritual advisor were released. It was revealed that she had real doubts in her faith and that she was suffering in and through what she understood to be the silence of God, how God wasn't reaching out to her in ways that she could comprehend or apprehend.
1: And do you think that was worse because she had had such a clear calling and and vocation earlier in her life that suddenly something was gone that she had relied on?
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good way to put it, that she had this clear sense of God's presence early on in her life, and that presence seemed to withdraw from her. It was torturous, like having a beloved spouse who dies and and trying to work through that sorrow. So you're definitely correct that it was made more intense by her her deep connection with God uh, that she could feel earlier on in her life.
1: And as far as unjust suffering, and I think sometimes this is among the hardest because we don't see a reason or a cause sometimes. Something just happens to us. Where do you find some sort of spiritual anchor for dealing with that? There are people who say, I, I'm done with God because a, a God who loves would not allow this kind of suffering.
0: You know, let me just say initially, those questions about you know, where is God? Why is this happening? And also that impulse to to just leave it all is something that's really, really understandable. It's something that I myself have experienced. I don't want to give kind of simple answers to these kinds of questions and dismiss the cries of people who really feel abandoned in their suffering. Certainly, I think for all of us, there is the example of Christ, that Christ himself is perhaps, for Christians, the one who experienced unjust suffering most deeply. And so there is some connection then between Christ's suffering and our suffering. And through our own suffering, we can perhaps have a deeper understanding of Christ's sacrifice for us, but also a deeper intimacy with him as son of God.
1: You know, sometimes it seems like The people who have the most understanding or compassion turns out have learned that through their own suffering, just or unjust.
0: Yes, I think that's true. I mean, there's no one who knows better what it's like to be alone than someone who has experienced loneliness herself or himself. And so you could also say that about Mother Teresa. I mean, even though she had what seemed to be a quite privileged position, she was a world media star, paragon of virtue and so forth. Internally, she often felt as destitute as the people she cared for. And I think that's an important connection that shouldn't be missed.
1: And then this third category of suffering of sin. I'm wondering if you see purpose in that. We have regrets about something we've said or something we've done. And then what can that feeling do for us?
0: Well, that feeling can certainly lead us to greater and more fruitful, for lack of a better term, spiritual growth. I mean, for example, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I've been sober now for just about 30 years. Part of my recovery was taking responsibility for the times in which I'd hurt people mm. and reaching out to them, connecting with them, uh, and taking responsibility for my actions.
1: That's the making amends step of the 12. Uh huh.
0: Yes, exactly. I was working a 12-step program. And so that can be a really profound sense or lead to a profound sense of one's own dependence on God, but also one's dependence on the mercy of others. There is a way our suffering from sin or because of sin can be transformed into a springboard for spiritual
1: growth. Some people choose the path of growth. I'm guessing that might be a guilt or a recognition of, of wrong action. Some people take on that suffering as, oh, this must be what I deserve or perhaps I am a bad person.
0: Yeah, it's really hard because I think that there is, you know, a tendency to go to the extreme and say, well, because I'm a sinner, because I'm someone who is imperfect, that therefore I'm not worthy of God's love. What the Christian tradition and its various articulations affirms very strongly is that God loves each and every one of us in and through our finitude, our lack, our imperfectness. It's important never to forget, even in those moments of darkest despair, darkest despair over what we ourselves have done, that God still loves us and that his love is available as is the love of other human beings.
1: Which seems very hopeful, even if we're kind of at the lowest point of that.
0: Yeah, I think it is hopeful. And I think, you know, for me, I just remember being alone in in my apartment at the south side of Chicago after having a party in this drinking binge uh, where I had bottles all around. I woke up with a hangover and so forth. And I thought, you know, how am I going to get out of this? You know, what what's going to happen to me? You know, I can't see a way forward. But once I let go, once I let go of the idea that change was was solely the function of my own will and my own choice, other avenues of change opened up. And I'm sure everyone who's listening, who has suffered from addiction, who has friends who have suffered from addiction, has experienced this, how in the most hopeless cases, you know, oddly enough, when we forget about ourselves when we let go of ourselves and our own needs opportunities open for the for us that we could have never
1: expected beforehand all this thinking you've done and thinking about the different types of suffering and addressing this what made you choose this as i mean i'm sure if you were you were submitting a speech somewhere and you said i want to talk about <laughs> suffering it's like oh good that's going to get me in everyone wants to hear Yeah about
0: right that. <laughs> Well, I think for me, uh, you know, I think this is a common human question, first and foremost. Suffering touches all of us. And for those of us who believe in a benevolent and omnipotent God, it is at least initially hard to reconcile the experience of suffering with the presence of God. For me personally, however, I'm also an adopted child, and I spent the first four months of my life in an orphanage before being adopted. And there are ways in which even though, you know, I was obviously very young at the time, for me my story has become a story of of being lost and then being found and how suffering interrelates with our own spiritual growth, our own openness to others and our own openness to God. So I think it's from reflecting on my experience in adoption in particular, which was an experience of suffering, but an experience of redemption, that really spurred me to consider how particularly the Christian tradition understands suffering.
1: In times that you would call the silence of God, do you still recognize some presence there?
0: It's hard, but and the simple answer to the question is yes, but getting to the point where you can sense God's presence is sometimes very, very difficult, at least it is for me. And I certainly don't want to represent myself as some sort of you know, spiritual adept who has worked through all these questions. But my sense personally is that God works very gently. He doesn't wish to override our will. And so oftentimes we have to listen very, very carefully or sense our surroundings very, very carefully, but also be open to God revealing himself to us in ways that we wouldn't expect. I mean, we all have within our own minds and hearts visions of how our life is supposed to be. And when things don't correspond with how we think life should be, Our initial response is anger, feelings of disappointment, feelings of betrayal. But perhaps God opens up to us new possibilities in and through suffering that we wouldn't have understood or approached
1: otherwise. I'd like to dive into for a moment your personal experience there at the Sisters of Charity home in Calcutta. First of all, just a description of how you participated, but also what did you sense spiritually about that? You sort of hinted that Mother Teresa saw herself as spiritually destitute as the people that she served her were materially destitute.
0: Well, I was a young college student. I was doing my junior year abroad in a Hindu holy city called Varanasi, actually. The Missionaries of Charity, the official name of Mother Teresa's order, had a home there because many Hindus go to Varanasi, the city, to die because it's understood that if you die in Varanasi, you'll have, you'll be released from the cycle of existence. So there are a lot of people who are extremely poor and destitute, some who have come there on their own volition, some who have been abandoned, and Mother Teresa's sisters looked out for them and took care of them when they had no place to go. And I think for me, what I drew away from observing what the Missionaries of Charity did was that when they touched someone who was poor and destitute, a leper, someone suffering from mental illness and so forth, they understood that they were touching Jesus, okay? This is sort of a subtle distinction, but I think a lot of us have heard you know, we need to look past external appearances and see Jesus embodied in everyone. But it wasn't for them looking past these external appearances of the people they served that was going on. They were accepting their external appearance as a revelation of Christ. And so that really impacted me to think, not only say when I see a homeless person or when I see someone suffering from mental illness, That, you know, if you strip away everything, you you find Jesus. No, it it is in that that presentation, the revealment of suffering, that one finds Jesus even more profoundly.
1: So you make me think of Matthew 25 and Jesus saying, Be on my right hand, be gathered with the sheep rather than the goats, because of how you served me, how you visited me in prison and clothed me when I was naked. And and people asking, when did we do these things? And this is how that we do for each other that's not a natural human impulse i think maybe a few gifted people is to see people who are perhaps diseased or in extreme distress i think we pull back how do you learn the love and the being present with people and and seeing jesus in them as he said
0: yeah. Well, I think you're you're absolutely right in that there's something about suffering and being near people who suffer that is profoundly threatening to us and it's hard. You know, at the very least it also reflects what could possibly happen to us. And it seems to me that what's helped for me in those circumstances though I still have a lot to 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 do and grow with regard to this is that it's not only other people who are in need of reassurance and help and so forth, and it's not only there, but for the grace of God, go me. But there have been times in my life where I really, really needed people to reach out to me and needed people to accompany me in my own suffering. And so willingness to do that by recognizing one's own vulnerability, I think is really important.
1: Uh, tell me more about this accompaniment. This is a phrase that you use. What does that mean to you? And and practically, how do we do that for someone with someone?
0: Yeah, this is something that Pope Francis talks about, and he talks about it in in two basic ways. And the way in which I talk about it with myself is sort of more of the second way. First, he talks about mentoring people, being with people. And guiding them through particularly difficult experiences. So I know, for example, in my own recovery from alcoholism, uh, or continuing recovery from alcoholism, I had a sponsor, and there were a lot of things that I experienced in relation to my recovery that I needed a lot of help with. You know, I was being overwhelmed by stuff that I I couldn't handle on my own, and so I needed a guide. I needed a guide through those experiences, and so that's one form of accompaniment. The second form of accompaniment is simply being with someone. And that may not seem to be a lot. But as you just mentioned, our own natural impulse is to recoil at the presence of suffering. And so simply to be with someone, to be present with them, is a wonderful gift. And so, what the Sisters of Charity would do in India, as I observe them, is if one of their residents were dying, they would simply sit with them, simply sit with them so they wouldn't die alone and they would have a notion of other human presence. And this was beyond sort of saying the right thing or doing the right thing or or other things which often hold us back from reaching out to other people. Just being present and just being present is sometimes the greatest gift we can give to another person.
1: Yeah, that's, that's beautifully stated. Thank you very much. You've hinted at this, but you have learned about god through personal suffering and thank you for your vulnerability what one thing i love about your your openness and frankness about the, your years of sobriety and alcoholism is at this point you are free to speak of that with without shame or uh, it's just one of the events of your life it seems
0: well yes and no i mean i I do experience I don't experience shame in admitting that I'm an alcoholic. You know, in fact, it's liberating to be able to admit to my friends and you know to people, you know, that there's part of me that was in need of radical healing. But it's still taken me a long time to uh, overcome the shame uh, from what I did during my drinking days. And that's a lifelong struggle, yeah, you know, I would say. So, you know, to anyone who's listening, who's struggling with an internal experience or a memory that brings them great shame, I'd just like to say you know, it does take time. It does take time. But being able to let go of that shame by, in some ways, admitting it or sharing it with other people is one way to move beyond being stuck in the past.
1: If I understand, Mother Teresa has been canonized now. yes. Saint Teresa. It's the saint yes. Teresa of Calcutta, yes. Calcutta. So this is someone you actually had the chance to meet. Not everyone gets to meet well, actually many oh. of us get to meet living saints. They aren't just officially called that. It's, oh, the, it's that's the way, an
0: important point.
1: Where they live. So I'm curious, in what ways was was she very human to you and in what ways you mentioned a palpable spiritual presence? Was she was she a, a future saint?
0: Very good question. So I was in the South Bronx, and the priest I was working with at this other homeless shelter would say mass for the sister, Mother Teresa's sisters down the street. So he said to me, You know, hey, you want to go meet Mother Teresa? And I said, Sure, yeah. <laughs> uh, so we were led into this room, and we were just waiting and waiting and waiting. And we start to get really, really nervous. You know, what are we going to do? What are we going to say in the presence of, of this holy person? So she enters the room and she is short. I mean, she is really, really short. And it's really interesting. I think all of, many of us anyway, in our imaginations, sometimes think of spiritually powerful people as also being physically powerful people, tall or muscular or so forth. And it's not necessarily the case. So I remember being taken by just how short she was, but then she placed a rosary into my hands and her hands were incredibly strong. I remember she held my hand for a couple seconds at least and her hands were noticeably rough because she'd been working so hard. And secondly, they were strong. I felt as though if she... You know, if if she and I had arm wrestled or something like that, she would have overpowered me really easily. So it was, it was a real striking example to me of how initial, if you're just going upon your initial take of someone without knowing their background, right. you can also be very mistaken because that palpable spiritual presence was conveyed through her hands, hands that had touched many people, touched them in love, touch them in suffering and hands that had worked very, very hard through decade and decade.
1: Oh, that's beautiful. Beautifully stated. Thank you. What a great experience to to have had.
0: Yeah, it was wonderful. And I and I want to make it clear that at least when it comes to me, I didn't do anything heroic while I was there. I just sort of helped carrying around things, moving bookcases or stuff like that. So I, you know, I certainly didn't do anything heroic or anything that should be praised. But for me, seeing these women, these young women, many of whom were as young as I was, college age, uh, being willing to sacrifice so much for people who also were not in a position to maybe thank them or express gratitude in the way in which we would expect. And so there's a kind of narcissism that comes with, or that can come with, you know, being a do-gooder. Um, (laughs) I know this happens with me, you know, if students don't say I'm a good teacher or something like that, I'll be offended or something like that. You know, sometimes we can get into this dynamic when we're, we, we do things that we think are good, that if we're not affirmed for that, then somehow what we do is worthless or the other person is being ungrateful or something like that. Uh, the sisters of the missionaries of charity were beyond those kinds of concerns. And so they were ready to give themselves regardless of the context.
1: I wonder if I could ask, finally, in a situation like that, a home for destitute and dying, where people really are dying and often in in pain emotionally, physically, was that sense of suffering present there or was it more of just a given and a joyful place because of what was happening. Maybe maybe a mixture. I'd, I'd love to know your take on that.
0: Yeah, that's a really, really important observation. When I went to the Missionaries of Charity home in Varanasi, it was well-ordered. It was clean. There wasn't the smell of death. And there wasn't the kind of chaos that one might associate with someone making a transition from this life to the next. So it was very calm, very, very peaceful. Part of that came from uh, the acknowledgement or the belief that our lives here on earth are part of a greater and longer journey to God. And so therefore, death oftentimes brings fear, it brings the prospect of suffering, but it also is one part of our spiritual growth.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Matthew Schmaltz, is there something I should have asked you, but I don't know to ask?
0: So I really enjoyed the, the uh, conversation. You know, in a in a different context, however, since many of your lit- listeners are Latter Day Saints, perhaps I would like to talk about how the Latter Day Saint tradition has impacted me personally. And so, I would like to say, you know, very very strongly to my Latter Day Saint friends. Uh, that your witness has deeply impacted me and also been an important source of strength for me in times when I myself have suffered.
1: Thanks again to Matthew Schmaltz for speaking with us. He's co-author along with Alonzo Gaskill from BYU of the forthcoming Understanding Our Catholic Neighbors, a guide for Latter-day Saints. This episode was produced and edited by Heather Bigley. Our production team includes Austin Ball, Leah King, and Katarina Martinich. Our sound designers are Sam Clausen, Brandon Lewis, and Daniel Phillips. In Good Faith is committed to the idea that we all benefit from hearing people of widely varying backgrounds share their personal experience with faith and belief. In fact, we think people with such experience deserve some of our best listening. If you enjoy the show, do us a favor and leave a comment or a review where you get your podcasts. That helps spread the word. Find us on Twitter at InGoodFaithPod and on Instagram and Facebook at InGoodFaithPodcast. In Good Faith is a production of BYU Radio. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. I hope you'll join me again soon, right here, in Good Faith.